Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What's the first brand you remember striking you or impressing you or impacting you for its creativity? Mars. It was, you know, the chocolate bar. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it was bad for your teeth, but for your health. So there was an ad which was un coup de bar, Mars et ça repart. So you feel tired, eat a, mm-hmm. a Mars and it starts again. One day I say to my mom, I say, Mom, I feel a little down. <laughs> I have a petit coup de bar. So could I have a Mars? And that day my mom gave me one French rings to go and buy a Mars. And I say, that's the power of creativity. (laughs) (laughs) Well done, Mathilde. Good positioning. But again, you know, you could have positioned this chocolate bar, just another chocolate sweets, uh, not particularly healthy, full of calories and bad for your teeth. But the way they did it, it was to give you the energy to keep on with your day. Which is what Snickers did years later. Exactly. You are not you when you are hungry. Great idea. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO Podcast is Mathilde Delhomme-Debreu, the Global Brand Officer for LVMH, the largest and most admired luxury brand company in the world. LVMH is the only company that has maisons, or brands, in all five major luxury categories, fashion and leather goods, wines and spirits, perfumes and cosmetics, watches and jewelry, and selective retailing. LVMH looks over 75 maisons with sales north of $70 billion. My guest, Mathilde, is not only a colleague, but a dear friend. We first worked together at P&G in the late 1990s, when we were both working in the baby care category in Western Europe. Mathilde spent 30 years at P&G in a variety of roles before joining LVMH in early 2017. We recorded this conversation in Mathilde's home country of France at the Cannes Lions International Festival of Creativity. And that is only fitting. This is my conversation with one of the most creative people I know, Mathilde Delhomme de Bru. Mathilde, welcome finally to the CMO podcast. How does it feel being back in Cannes? Being at Cannes is always uh, an exciting, inspiring, 
an exhausting experience. And it's only Monday as we're recording. And it's only Monday, but it starts very early and it ends up very late. But it's all about inspiration and also kind of getting to meet the creative community, which is also really important, and seeing the work. Seeing the work. Now, I disclosed in the introduction that we have been friends and colleagues for 25 plus years. I don't count the years. Well, no, well keep, let me keep going. What I did not disclose, because I wanted you to hear this to begin this conversation, is that we are here in Cannes, but I feel you are one, truly one of the most creative, empathetic, talented, caring leaders I have met in my career. So thank you over the years for this inspiration. And I am proud of you because we worked together so, so long ago. And I think you have evolved into a marvelous leader. And we're going to talk about that. Thank you, Jim. So you were a young marketing director when I first met you in the 1990s. And we worked together in baby care. You're now the CMO of the world's largest and most admired luxury company. No one's close. So I'd like you to speak a little bit about, since I met you in the 90s to today, how you have evolved as a leader, as a person. Oh, that's a big question. I would say what has not changed first. I have always a passion for people. So people uh, that work with you, for you, or even upwards. Uh, passion for brands and passion for consumers. So this has not changed. And I think no matter if you work on on Pampers, on a big luxury company, I see really uh, myself as a trustee of a brand legacy. So to really make the, our brands, we are in charge. We are just curators. We are not the owners of the brand. We are curators. So I think making those brands more desirable in 15 years from now than what they are today is really uh, what, uh, what has not changed. This is where... Uh, my passion is and delighting the human beings that we serve. So this has not changed. Also, this is a, also a passion. And doing that while making the people works with you to grow, to become even better than what you are. So th this has not changed. Then what has changed is uh, the desire to grow up, to keep learning, to keep taking risks. Because there is a moment where you keep doing what you have always been doing. You don't learn anything. So your learning curve stagnates. And there is a time where you need to say, I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to feel scared again about, uh, because you, when you take risks, you feel a bit scared. And I want to feel this excitement about taking risks. And it's time to move on. So this is what has uh, kind of led to the change from uh, 30 years at a png to moving to LVMH five years and a half ago. Are you more confident now than you were when I met you? No. No. No, I think uh, you always need to stay humble and to have a feeling of what you don't know you don't know. So there is nothing more... Uh, this is what irritates mm -hmm. me is uh, CMO or marketers that think they know everything. So we don't know a lot. And so this will always keep me humble. And I always say I don't have the right answers. The only thing I can 
do is asking the right questions. So I see my role as asking the right questions, not to try to be the smartest girl in the room with the right answers. It's the most important thing we can do is ask the right questions as leaders and set standards. I want to come back to a concept you talked about, and this is we are here to curate the brand. We don't own the brand, right? Talk more about that. What's the implication of that in our behaviors? I think it forces you to really know your brands. And this is something that in fast-moving consumer goods, we probably don't know, we don't do it enough. Uh, Whereas in uh, luxury, you have brands that are centuries old. So you need to understand the history of a brand to really extract what is the DNA of these brands. So you keep on stretching it in the future, but by always understanding the roots of the brand. And really is a way to look at a brand. And I remember one day you and I, we ping pong about, you need to look at a brand like a tree and the DNA are really the roots. And this is where the brand keeps growing and keeps uh, really uh, fructifying. And then you have the trunk. The trunk is your brand positioning. And then you have the branches and the branches are the activation you do. And every year out of the branches, there will be new flowers, new fruits. This is the creativity that is brought. And, you know, the big brands have these kind of strong, deep roots that you need to respect. And so this is where we need to be there. We need to understand the roots and don't start kind of making little trees grow around it just for your own ego. You are here to take care of those big trees and protect them and make them flourish every year. Any insights in how you do that? How you as a leader do it? How you coach others to do that? I think it's uh, just going back to what their brand is about. So again, understanding the Mm -hmm. history and going beyond the mere facts of history saying, why was it? So uh, if there was a fact in history, what was leading this fact? Uh, Then uh, out of this saying, so why does the brand exist? And uh, what we called at a point in time brand purpose, and this word of purpose is being misused so much. But a brand purpose is why does the brand Mm -hmm. exist for the humans it serves? So once you have done that, when you have found your brand purpose out of the brand DNA, you are on a good track because this is not supposed to change. This is your roadmap. This is your lighthouse. And then identifying what are the values of the brand because uh, this is really important because values do not change. I remember a speech by Steve Jobs when he came back after he got fired and rehired. He was saying there are so many chains that have changed at Apple's, but values, they do not change. They stay the same. So uh, I also believe that brand purpose and values do not change. They are really rooted in the brand DNA. And so this is our role to really understand this brand DNA, define the purpose, define the values, and then became the trustee of this brand legacy. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, 
your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. We learned a lot from each other on Brand Purpose back at PNG many years ago. We worked together in Pampers, which was a pioneer on purpose at PNG at the time. There is confusion around the concept now. Oh, yes. I'd like you to talk about why, why is that? I think there is lots of confusion because people mix up what purpose is and purpose activation is. So the purpose is why does the brand exist? And then you do acts. So you activate this purpose, usually with CSR, corporate and social responsibility. And people are mixing up because they take the corporate and social responsibility action as brand purpose. And this is why it becomes very dangerous because uh, most of our brands are not about philanthropy. So we are brands, we have products, and this is what the purpose is about. And the CSR is great. And this is where the confusion comes. It's well said, and there is tremendous confusion. I've seen that you use a bit of a a criteria to help, I think, to help you articulate what you mean. You use this five Ds, which which I don't know where I saw this, but it's it's very much you. Uh, DNA rooted is a criteria. Decisive. Yeah, you need to be able. Distinctive, desirable, and durable. I love it. I used it yesterday with a large group of people. So. DNA. Talk about that. How did you so, come to that? By looking at uh, all the, the brands I've worked on and uh, discriminating the successful one from the unsuccessful one. Because there is a moment where you work on brand positioning, you need to ask yourself, is it, did we do a good job? So there is a moment when you need to face the mirror and evaluate what you have been doing. So DNA rooted, we just talked about it. It's really understanding the the origin of the brand and what you are going to to do out of that. There is one which is desirable. So there is a D which is desirable for your target audience. So, and particularly in luxury, you are not here to please to everyone. So you need to understand your target audience and say, does my brand positioning is going to attract disproportionately to this target audience? So desirable, distinctive, distinctive versus competition. Because if every competition can have your positioning, then no big deal. So you do not exist and you will certainly not be able to call for a price premium for what you are doing. A decisive is about the ability to say yes, but even more to say no. To say no to a project, to say this project doesn't fit with my brand equity. Okay? Uh, durable is also something which is uh, really, really important. So it needs to last. It's not the, uh, the equity of the day. It's the brand purpose of the day. It's there to stay. Of all your maisons, I mean, there are many that we could talk about. Which one do you think is exemplifying these five Ds beautifully today? I would say, and I will not take the credit for the work that has been done because you have generation of leaders at Louis Vuitton that has been working on it, and it's not me. But uh, I think the Louis Vuitton brand, the Louis Vuitton Maison is a great example. The Cantar Milward Broad Brand Z ranking has been published and Louis Vuitton is now number 10, was number 21 uh, last year. Now it's number 10. What is funny is in the top 10, you have seven tech companies. And you have three more product-based companies, and Louis Vuitton is the number 10. So, And I think it's a 
relentless work in nourishing the brand DNA and creativity that is always going to stretch the envelope. So it's uh, Louis Vuitton is not even about being trendy. It's about being a trendsetter. So everything Vuitton is doing, it's setting the trend. It's taking a stand on culture, but a culture that is really rooted in the human epic, So, which is really interesting. So uh, I would say Vuitton is a great example of uh, exemplifying those uh, five Ds. Could you speak about your journey on brand purpose? When did the, was there a light bulb or was it a process or was there a revelation or was there a person or an experience? So speak about it and why it's resonating with you so much personally. I think we lived it together because it started in Pampers in 1997. When uh, you inherited the Pampers Global Brand, I inherited the global positioning and uh, integrated communication for the brands. And uh, at the time, the brand was losing ground. We were called several times, and I remember there was even a memo circulating, should we sell Pampers? Mm -hmm. Because we will never be able to make any profit, and we are going to be capped all the time. And I was a young mom. Alexia was uh, two years old, so the world of uh, diapers and wipes, I knew it pretty well. And everyone was telling me, uh, Pampers is about keeping your baby dry. And I remember facing the, the comex of, uh, uh, of baby care there and saying, I disagree, Pampers is about caring for baby's development. And someone told me, Mathilde, you're out of your mind. This is just... You're a dreamer. This is just a container. A diaper is a container. And I say, I disagree because uh, a, a baby wears a diaper 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, a mom changes her baby on average four to seven times a day, and it's an opportunity, an interaction. Of course, there is an unpleasant part to it, but there is a moment of pure love mm -hmm. that you have your, with your baby. You laugh, you do the little butterfly kiss on their belly, uh, you look at each other, they grab your hair, and uh, it's a great moment. So forget about the chore part. There is really a moment of love and exchange, and all this belongs to baby development. And then I saw a few men in the audience looking at me and saying, yeah, we get it, you were one of them. Janice Cesarani was another one. Kirk Perry was another one. So there were a few men that had been changing diapers and that could relate to that and some others that could not. So we were given a chance to prove that we, we could change the perception of our category to something more elevated. And so I saw the power of this one, of caring for every baby, happy, healthy development, not only in advertising, because of course we did a great campaign that won plenty of awards, but we changed the way we worked product because there were full lines of products that were developed on the basis of this brand purpose. We also went to very different activation. We did the UNICEF, one packing, one, one vaccine, because caring for every baby's healthy development is also to provide vaccination. And we have eliminated newborn tetanus thanks to this brand purpose. So I think this is where I saw the, the brand purpose power. And by the way, this later one, the UNICEF one, the one pack, one, one vaccine, is a purpose activation. 
not the purpose. It's, it's the not the purpose. Yep. It's a purpose activation. So you can activate your purpose in product, in communication, in CSR, and this is what is magic when you find the right one. Now we're talking about P&G, so I want to stay there for a moment. You were 30 years, a great career at P&G, great legacy, many, many different people and brands you affected. Now you're at a luxury company and the best. So how did your career at P&G prepare you for what you're doing now, and how maybe did it not prepare you? Tough question. I would say P&G prepared me in believing brands, because P&G is a house of brands and a very strong belief in brands mm -hmm. and the power of brands. P&G prepared me saying consumer is boss, and uh, our clients are boss. So these are the two things to which it prepared me, and it prepared me very well. And then PNG also prepared me to the power of people working on these brands and saying we are here to help people become better versions of themselves, making them grow, making them mm -hmm. uh, learn, helping them learn, not doing it instead of them, but helping them see the way. So I think that's the three things that... Uh, PNG and you, Jim, preferred me to. Um, now, what it didn't uh, prepare me to, but uh, I learned it, is um, the three values of LVMH. But these are my own values, so this is why. It was not in the PNG value, but these are my values, so this is why I, I was very happy to join LVMH. Is one, creativity. Is the first value of LVMH is creativity. And this is why everything is about the creative sparkle an artistic director is going to bring to a maison. So, uh, so this one, uh, you have to learn to respect it, uh, to nurture this creative sparkle so that it becomes a huge fire. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the quest for excellence, but to a level which is less than perfection is not an option. The 80-20 in luxury is not an option. You have to over-exceed expectation. So less than perfect, forget about it. And it's good because this is what I apply to myself. But I remember so many times having heard at PNG, Mathiel, leave it to the 80 to 20. Yeah. You are a perfectionist. Stop it. Stop here. And uh, it's good because at LVMH, at least this perfectionism probably is not even enough for what it should be. So that's it. And the third thing to which uh, PNG didn't prepare me was entrepreneurship, which is every maison is an entrepreneur. So there needs to be always a new idea, always pushing the line and the boundaries to, be, to create culture. And I think that's the difference between FMCG and luxury. FMCG is about solving pain points. Luxury is about creating culture and desire. So this is something you you are not going to, to find in FMCGs. It doesn't help you for luxury. In this quest for perfection, and I, I think you are absolutely right, how do you manage in the culture uh, a fear of failure and to still still instill this thing that it's it's okay to stretch respecting your dna and and everything about what we just talked about curating a brand but how do you ensure the culture is one that wants to be innovative 
and, and push within some boundaries. Not be afraid to try something that may not work out. How do you manage that? I think you need to overcome the fear of failure and to replace it by the excitement of pushing the boundaries. Mm. Because you are asked to push the boundaries. You are asked to try new things. So this is really the culture. So when we say creativity is exactly yeah, that. Yeah. It's not about repeating the past. It's about inventing the future. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. You talked about creativity and all these being your values. When in your life did it strike you that creativity was so important in life? And I guess as a subset of that in business and brands. You know, I'm an engineer. I'm a I know that. We're going to talk about that too. <laughs> so um, I think in science, there's lots of creativity because you always need to invent new ways, but it's a, a bit mechanical. Uh, I would say probably because of my husband, who is an artist, a painter, a photographer. So he has always been able to show me things I would not see with my own eyes. So he was probably the first one to open my eyes to, uh, to what creativity could be uh, through painting, mm -hmm. through uh, the Picasso, the Matisse, uh, doing uh, all the uh, painting exhibition with him gave me uh, an eye on creativity and what beauty and beauty through creativity could be. So uh, that was probably the, the first sparkle. We have four pieces of artwork in our home in California that your husband did, and we acquired them many years ago. It's the first thing people see when they come into our home, and it's a bright way to come into our home. Olivier would so thank love. Him for, yeah, thank I will, him. I will thank Olivier for that. Definitely. So you're a part of our life every day <laughs> in the sunshine in California. Now, I want you to talk about, we're in, we're in Cannes. We're going, to, we're going to shift the last part of this podcast discussion. into We're talking creativity. We're going to talk more about creativity. And... You're very skilled, in my experience, even before you went to LVMH, at building a culture that really valued creativity because you value creativity. So what lessons do you have for other leaders listening who may be in luxury and maybe not to build a culture that is, has creativity as a pillar, as a foundation, as a fundamental? Creativity is human beings. So love, just love, take care, nurture the people so that they can contribute with the best of their own creativity. So create the, the place, the smell of a place where creativity is welcome, not where you are scared to come with a good idea. It's a place where you feel invited, rewarded, uh, valued for bringing your creativity. So I think that's the, the first thing to do. Then again, ask the as the right question and put the right framework to creativity. I remember Bobby Sherwood with uh, Sachi and Sachi. Sachi yeah. and Sachi, uh, Sachi creative and Sachi executive, global creative director at Sachi and Sachi, and for me, a, a pure creative genius. One day he told me, say, Mathilde, a brief, a good creative brief is the best thing you can have for creativity. 
And then he says, think about, let, don't let kids play in the street. Put them in a sandbox, but with some elastic sides. And you will get wonderful work. But open brief with no brief is not a gift. Creativity is born out of constraints, but smart constraints. So I think also what uh, having the right question and the right brief and asking the brief to solve tough questions is probably a great challenge for creatives. And creative loves challenge. They want to know that they can change a, a given into something else through the power of creativity. So I think having asking the right question, having a good brief is a second enabler to creativity. And then uh, the, the last one is having this insight. You know, uh, I think great ideas are always born uh, out of a fantastic, uh, call it consumer insight, human sparkle that you are going to, to bring. And if you can find this insight, uh, you will get to great creativity also. Can creativity be coached, trained? I would say no. I think it can be, as I say, nurture. If you put it in the right soil, mm -hmm. you will have it. But what you can do is you can teach people how to evaluate and respect creativity. But uh, you cannot improvise yourself as a creative if you are very rational mind. But I would need to think about it. So Perhaps your counsel you to leaders listening who don't feel they are creative, they, they may be more creative than they think. But for someone who says, I don't think it's my strength, your counsel to them would be to create the conditions where creativity can flourish. They can do that. Absolutely. They should create the, this really environment where creativity is respected, encouraged, and valued. This is the first thing you do. Then you need to make sure that you don't kill creativity because uh, when you have to evaluate is find a way to evaluate creativity not on a checklist. I think the, the killer of creativity is a checklist. Evaluating creativity by checklist is creativity is in your guts. Mm -hmm. So you can probably train your guts. You can probably train your, uh, your ability to feel if something is good or not. And uh, it means that spending time with creative people, confronting creative with results. And then perhaps you will never be a virtuoso, but at least you can uh, discriminate between what is great mm -hmm. and what is average. What role has Can Lion played in your creative journey? Giving the possibility to see work and a huge variety of work in all kinds of fields. So it goes, of course, from the traditional media to the new media to innovation and meeting, so looking at lots of work and meeting creative people. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember organizing masterclass with uh, Dan Wyden himself and Dan kind of teaching to people how he approaches creativity and uh, saying, uh, fail more often. I still remember this sentence from Dan saying a failure is okay because you are going to learn. So kind of rubbing your, your brain with the best creative brains in the world is really something that is a gift. When did you first come to Cannes? What is your I first? came with you. We took okay. the first delegation to oh. Cannes. It was 2000, 2002. It shows our age, Jim. I know that. But we were, our wisdom. We were 20. 
And at the time, it had been encouraged by Bobby Sherwood and Kevin mm -hmm. Roberts. At Saatchi and Saatchi. At yeah. Saatchi and Saatchi to take the first delegation to Cannes. And why did they encourage it? I think because they wanted to open the mind mm -hmm. of the PNG people to the power of creativity beyond uh, the PNG approach to creativity. So I think this is what they wanted to do. They wanted also to make sure that PNG people would understand the importance of uh, awards and the awards being a recognition mm -hmm. uh, by uh, the creative community to their peers about the best work and then make uh, an FMCG company a, a magnet for the best creative talents in the world, which happened. Yeah, we, we are in market of the year. Yes. Seven, I mean, five years later, I think. Yes, exactly. You broke the lions, by the What's way. What's your greatest memory over the years of coming to Cannes? The awards we won. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because uh, I think that these are my greatest memories. The awards won with the creative going on stage, the joy of seeing them winning. I always say this is the Olympic Games of uh, advertising and creativity. So for me, seeing the joy of a creative that won through the brands, for me, is the biggest moments of, of this one. And then there is the learning, the masterclass with the best creative in mm -hmm. the world. This one is also a second one. What are you looking forward to this week? Inspiration, as inspiration. I said, yeah. inspiration. And, um, and I go with a, a special objective, which is... Uh, I call it heart and science because currently we are surrounded by tech and I find there is a complete bias that is tech is informing creativity. And uh, I disagree with that. I think creativity is fundamentally human and tech is there to augment creativity, but not the other way around. So it's a bit of a philosophical debate. It's a question I'm asking myself. Yeah. The LinkedIn CEO is speaking this week, and he that's exactly what he's speaking about. But there is lots of confusion these yeah. days. I see lots of people coming with tech ideas, thinking it's creativity. Mm -hmm. And it's just a how. It's not an idea. It's not a creativity. So I think we all need to be able to sort out that human-inspired creativity augmented by tech is okay. Mm -hmm but it's not tech-inspired creativity uh, that leads the world. Let's flip to your career path. We've already talked about P&G a bit, but you're anchored by these two great companies, P&G and LVMH. But when you were a student at university, you studied metallurgy and you were a skier, right? Didn't you head up your ski team? So how did you go from this hard science, geology, metallurgy, excavation, to your love of creativity, brands, and marketing. What was the moment? Did you imagine yourself being a scientist back then? No. No? No. Why did you study that? When I read my thesis in metallurgy, I don't understand a word of what I'd written. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I, I would not be able to go back to, to science. But um, I think uh, when you, you're young, perhaps you are not a master of your destiny, and you follow what you are expected to follow. And in France, when you are a good student, you do math, you do physics, mm -hmm. you do chemistry, you do maths, maths pay, you do the engineer school. 
Uh, and then there is a moment where you wake up saying, do I want to be a scientist at the CNRS? Do I want to make tires at Michelin? Do I want to be in a laboratory? And there was a moment where my engineer path crossed the marketing path and I discovered what marketing was about and say, oh, this is something I like much more because uh, I, I will still use my science background. Especially at PNG. Uh, yeah, I, I think I've never been intimidated by an Excel chart. And, uh, but uh, at least it's hidden. Nobody knows that I can deal very well with Excel chart and numbers. Uh, and this is an enabler for creativity. But if I'd been more master of my destiny, I would have gone directly into business. But I did this little detour by engineering that helps me deal with number and facts in a more effective way. In many ways, I think it's a great background for what you've done. And certainly at PNG, you needed both sides of the brain. And you would be surprised that in luxury, lots of the president of some of the biggest group are engineers. Yeah. And I think luxury is really, and I admire all the leaders of LVMH because they have an ability to connect the two sides of mm -hmm. their brain. They are amazingly sharp on the rational one, but they are all mm -hmm. artistically so talented. It's a special gift. Yeah, that's a special gift that uh, I admire as the leaders of LVMH. We're going to shift into the last segment, which we call the Creator Brief, and it's we're in Cannes, so it's going to be really about creativity. And the first one is, when are you most creative? When I have a challenge to solve. Creativity out of a white page is, uh, is perhaps not my uh, best skill. But when there is a challenge, and a big one, mm -hmm. uh, it's not a nitty-gritty yeah. problem-solving, but a big challenge to solve, I think this is where you get the best creativity, uh, a new height to reach, this is another one. So um, this is where I think you get the best out of the people. What is the most creative initiative or campaign that you have worked on in your career? I see we discussed about it. The, the repositioning of a brand like it's Pampers. a big problem, a big challenge. Yeah, that was a big challenge. You know, a brand that is going to be sold that weights $3 billion. And uh, you and I, we know that where we ended up after all the repositioning, we were closer to 10 than 3. So uh, you triple a business by the power of creativity. This one is a very satisfactory one. What is a creative campaign at large in your life that has really struck you or moved you? Apple. All the creative work of Apple struck me, starting with 1984. Mm -hmm. You know, this film. We were both at PNG 90, when that came out. In 1984, um, Apple will launch Macintosh, and you'll see why 1984 won't be like 1984. And this one was uh, aired once during the Super Bowl. There was no YouTube. There was no internet. And this is still one of the most iconic ads. And then you look at Think Different. This was another one. You think about Shot on iPhone, which is a great campaign, which is now becoming user-generated. So uh, Part of our language, too. Yeah, exactly. So uh, the earpods, the freedom of the earpods also. So I think Apple is, for me, clearly a brand that uh, always redefine the category in which they operate. Looks at computers, they redefine what computer was about. They redefine what music was about. They redefine what a phone was about. 
well, they have not yet redefined what streaming is about. Uh, they are not taking the good path here. I think they're going to figure out, they're going to define, I think, in many ways what transportation is about. I think that's coming. Yeah. When in, in your life did you develop your conviction that creativity was so important to business? By looking at the results. Because when you see the power of creativity in transforming business, and I think here LVMH is a great example. All the brands are based on creativity. And you look at how the brands are growing in desirability, in mere business results. So yes, the power of creativity is something that will never ending. Who is the most creative person you have ever met? I have to have met the person or... Well, let's, let's, I'll ask it this way. Who's the most creative person you admire and who's the most creative person you have met? I think the most creative person I admire is probably Picasso because this man master his craft. He studied the academics to a level of perfection and then he broke the rules. But he didn't break the rules once or twice. He kept on reinventing the rules. So if you go from the period rose, the pink, the blue, the cubism, to everything he did. And he was always reinventing himself. So I think that's uh, creativity at its best. You master the rules to better break them. And knowing that you are breaking them, but evolving all the time. So this is why, for me, he is probably one of the most amazing creative person in the world. That's a good principle in everything, actually. In brand building. Yeah, exactly. Master it and then understand it. Then if you want to choose the rules you break, fine. Because you know what mm-hmm. you are breaking yeah. and why. Yeah. So I think this one is critical. Best creative joker on this one because I would uh, hurt feelings. And, okay. Uh, okay. How do you work? How do you personally work to improve your, your creativity? Outside, outside, outside focus. I think if you just stay on your own territory, you repeat yourself. So you need to, to read a lot and read things that are not necessarily obvious. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm sorry, I'm not just reading the creativity ad age campaign. This I read because it's a basic, but reading outside. Mm-hmm. So uh, going to also to exhibition, artistic exhibition, reading lots of books that are not necessarily business books. Um, so open your field. Creativity comes from anywhere, particularly in luxury. Because as I say, in luxury, creativity is culture. So be open to culture. You have had a demanding career with lots of global travel. And you have been a wonderful mom to two amazing girls who are now also both in creative careers. So for the young moms, young working moms listening, what is your counsel, your wisdom? They will look at you as very aspirational. Tell your daughters, tell your kids you love your job and that you will be a better mom by being a working woman who loves what she's doing. And I will always remember one day, uh, Victoria, that you know, was looking at me saying, Mom, don't go to work today. And I did a, a big mistake because I told her, I say. You know, I need to go to work because I need to earn some money. And she said, why? You know, the kids are always <laughs> a question. why. 
And then I did an even more stupid answer. I say, you know the carousel to which you go every day. She was entitled one carousel tour per day. You need money to do that. So for your carousel tour, I need to earn money. This was your engineer coming out, Mathilde. Yeah. And she looked at me and said, Mom, I don't need the carousel. (gasps) And as a sudden, I realized how stupid my answer was. And I looked at her. I said, in fact, darling, it was a very wrong answer. You love your carousel. Keep going. I love my work. And I will keep going and doing it. And I will be a better mom by doing my job. And she had big tears in her eyes. She, mom, if you love your job, keep doing it. Mm. And, uh, and this is it. And now very often I ask both of them. I say, uh, perhaps I've not been a very good mom. Perhaps I've missed some uh, school teacher reunion. I've not been at 5 p.m. waiting for you at school. And they, they answer, say, mom, you replace quantity by quality. And uh, birthday were on the weekends mm-hmm. where we were all together. It mm-hmm. was not on the D-day of the birthday, but the weekends, it was all for them. When there were mass homework, they could not do, they could fax it to me anywhere in the world. And I would have a little knock in the middle of the night with the fax with the math. I remember some of that. And me doing the math stuff and faxing it back. There was no internet again mm-hmm. at the time, all the time. So that's it, is uh, making them understand how much you love your job. And I have to say, my two daughters, they love their job. And they don't feel ashamed about having a job they love. So show your daughters how much you love your job and make it contagious for them too. And then find the best partner in the world. Because uh, if it was not for Olivier, I would not have been able to have the career I have today. Same here. So who has been the greatest inspiration in your life? I would say my parents, they have all been hard worker and they have all wanted their children to, to have the best possible job for them. So uh, mm-hmm. their legacy was uh, the education and the job we would have. So uh, they were my inspiration because I wanted to live up to the standards they wanted for us. I've asked you a lot of Difficult questions, nice questions, but difficult to answer on the spot. And I don't give my guests any outlines of what I'm going to ask. So I'll leave you the last word. You can have a question for me before we go leave this shot and go back out into the scene at Cannes. If you had a magic wand, and if you could either change something from the past or create something for the future when it comes to your career, I'm not going to go in your personal life. What would you do? I think on my career, I, I probably would have left Procter & Gamble earlier. I think, I mean, uh, the company has taught me a lot, and I have many friends, and it's part of me. But I'm not sure my strength, greatest strengths, play to the strength of the company. So I think I, I feel more free. I feel more fulfilled in, in what I'm doing now. And... Could I be doing what I'm doing now if I hadn't gone to P&G? No, because it was a catalyst for what I'm doing now. But I, life is short. I feel every day is precious. And I really love my life now. So, so I guess that would be, I mean, I don't, I don't look back much. I have a wonderful career. I wish I would have worked in Asia on the ground. Mm-hmm. I worked in Eastern Europe and Western Europe, but not in Asia. I, would have, I think it would have been a great 
experience for my family. So that's how I probably answer that. In terms of the future, I, I, I guess I would hope that more brand leaders and business leaders really thought about their purpose as, as some element or some path to improving the well-being of everyone on this planet. And that's a very big statement, which Suzanne, my partner, and I were talking about yesterday, my business partner who's here in Cannes with me. But we're all about well-being for people, planet, society. It's just what lane we pick. And I think it's time. I very much admire what the car companies are doing now. Electrification. We're not going to solve climate change without them doing that. And I just feel like the environment and climate right now is, has to be ever-present for all of us. And I think if more brands were thinking about their role in society and well-being and what's their way to that through their purpose, we would help solve these problems. So I'll leave it. And that will take creativity and courage. Absolutely. Thank you, Mathilde. I'm so happy that you made time for this. We in this finally busy week. did We it. finally did it. <laughs> and it was very special. Thank you. Thank you, Jim, for hosting me. That was my conversation with my friend, Mathilde Delhomme. Three takeaways from this one for your business, brand, and life. First one is her lessons on building a creative culture. She said, ask good questions, don't come with answers, and give people constraints and a clear problem to solve, and that's aided by a strong brief. This is a few ways, and Mathilde shared many more, on how to build a creative culture. Second takeaway Mathilde shared a great criteria for a strong, purpose-driven brand positioning. The five Ds, DNA, decisive, distinctive, durable, desirable. Everyone should apply that. It works. Third takeaway, love your job and show your children you love your job. When I ask Mathilde her lessons for young moms who are listening, Mathilde has such a great career. She has two great daughters. She said simply, Love your job and tell your children and show your children that you love your job. And last bonus takeaway, when I asked Mathilde what she loved so much about LVMH and why she joined, she said their values were consistent with mine. My clear value is creativity. It's their top value. Join a company whose values you share, and I think you'll be happier. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.